Father, thank you for your grace and the opportunity to walk with you daily as we attempt to explore and understand more what you want for us and what you've prepared for us to accomplish in our walk with you. As we deal more tonight with spiritual growth, we know that we have to be operating in a place where you can teach us fellowship with you and a right relationship with you. And may that be the focus tonight, that we can understand what it is that you're trying to teach through your word and through what's communicated tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so red light, green light is our series. There's our awesome little diagrams or icons. And so far what we've seen for the, from the first two verses of 1 Corinthians 3 is that growing spiritually is stopped when we are operating fleshly. So we're asked, we've asked the question, what keeps us from growing spiritually? Being fleshly, obeying the sin nature. On the left side of the board, I have last week's notes still up there, and we have the two descriptions of the believer. The believer at any given moment in time is either spiritual, obeying God and following God, which then causes us to do what's right, or fleshly, obeying the sin nature and following the suggestions of the sin nature, which is causing us to then sin. And so we are either fleshly at, at any given moment in time or not. We might be spiritual. We only have those two options. It's black and white. In fact, it's light and dark, really, is the way First John 1, 5 through 10 terms it. So walking according to man's thoughts and ways is not a part of this that we've seen yet, but that's what we're going to look at tonight in verse 3. So what keeps us from growing spiritually? Well, being fleshly, obeying our sin nature, and walking according to man's thoughts and ways. And we'll look at that tonight. So we saw from 1 Corinthians 3, 1, that we have those two descriptions about believers. He says, brethren, so we know he's talking about believers. He says, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, those operating spiritually, but as to those of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. And we saw that the word infant there means the youngest of the infant, like the freshly born believer. And so we saw then you're at any given moment spiritually operating or walking or fleshly operating or walking. And so right now in this moment, you are either walking spiritually with God, obeying him and letting him direct you, or you're walking according to the flesh, obeying your lust pattern and letting it per, or suggest to you what to do and following it. Um, we saw then that because that Paul gave them milk to drink and not solid food, he says they could not handle the solid food because they were not able to receive it. And we saw in both of these usages of able that they were not in the place where God could actually have them receive fruit or food spiritually. Where we saw that then, when we took that to our diagram with the two circles and the cross, is that that's in fellowship with the Father. When we have a right relationship with him, when we're in fellowship and have fellowship with him, then we're able to be taught by the Holy Spirit. If we're outside of that, Holy Spirit's job is to convict us, to get us back into that circle, that sphere. And so temptation, James 1, uh, 13 through 16, is the process that takes us out of fellowship. We're tempted to sin by our lust, and there's bait in the trap that our lust is appealed to and says, take the bait to us, and we say, okay. We go then fleshly. And then when we confess that sin for John 1, 9, we go back to spiritual operation. It's an on-off situation. Some of you may have been at Ape Caves with us two summers or three summers ago, where we walked down into that smaller little cave, packed all of us into there, and then we had everyone turn off the lights for about 10 seconds. And it was pitch black dark. There was nothing you could see. And we brought out the point that even though 
we think that we're in a right relationship with God, if there's sin in our life, we're as if we're in that black darkness. We cannot see and understand him. And so in order for us to put ourselves in the place where God can then teach us and we can then receive his word, we have to deal with our sin in our life. That's what we gave the 20 seconds for you to do prior to beginning this, series or this study tonight. Now he says, indeed, I am not even able to give that to you. You're still not able to receive that because you are still fleshly. These believers have not moved on from their flesh. They have not started dealing with, oh, that's the flesh. I confess and move back in. Oh, there's sin again. I confess and move back in. Oh, there it is again. They haven't gone through this process. They're not maintaining their relationship with God. And so then we pick up this last part. And we started this a little bit last week. It says, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Here he gives them specifically in their circumstances and situations evidence of the flesh that's being manifest within their circles. He, he's dealing with a specific church here, the church in Corinth, and he says there's jealousy and strife in that church, and if, since there's jealousy and since there's strife, are you not fleshly? Does the Holy Spirit produce strife and jealousy? No. If you're obeying God, are you having strife or jealousy produced in you? No. That's the flesh. There are a few other places in Scripture where we see the flesh and examples or evidences of it. Galatians 5, I think it's 19 through 21. And then in Colossians, we see again, but this time we, time we see the thing that is, looks good. In fact, this is the 2, 19 to 21, I think it is. This, I think, is 16, but we'll see. Uh, can someone look up Galatians 5? Go to verse 16 first and see where that starts out at. Uh, I'll see if I can grab my Bible. Galatians 5. And it's 519 to 21 that we're looking for. And then the other one's Colossians 2, 16 to 21. I'll read both of them for us, but turn your Bibles to Galatians 519 to 21 first. So when we're talking about operating from the flesh, we're looking for the evidence here. We're, we're identifying, and, and Paul in the New Testament gives us evidence of what the flesh produces. So Galatians 5, 19 through 21. It says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And he doesn't, he's not saying in that passage, you've got to look at the context in what he's saying here. He's not saying that if there's strife in your life, you're not going to go to heaven. You're a believer. Your sin is charged to Christ. He's talking about you're acting just like those who are not inheriting the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so, if we're operating fleshly, we're acting as if we're an unbeliever. Now, did you notice jealousy and strife in that passage? Both of those were in there again. There's a category of our sin nature that's being focused on right here. Think back to our sin nature. What do we, what's our sin nature comprised of? Remember that diagram? If you're at camp this year, or pretty much any year, you've seen this discussion of our sin nature. On the left side, we've got the lust pattern. What are our three categories of lust here? You guys remember? 
pride. Sensuality, sensualist. Yep, a materialist. Good job. And one of these we said was dominant. You're either dominantly pride, dominantly sensualist, or dominantly materialist. What did we have on the right side on the top? You remember? It's an area of something. Strength. Area of strength. This is where you produce what we call a human good. Things that look good but are not righteous because where they're counterfeit, like those uh, Folkleys we talked about. So human good here. Then we have what's the other side of that? The area of what? Area of weakness. This is that human bad. The things that we know are wrong that we choose to do anyway. Now, in the Galatians 5, 19 to 21 passage, what category in that list is the most prevalent? Look at what it says. Deeds of the flesh are evident, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. And then it says things like these, just in case that list didn't cover one that is part of your life or has been around you. Where, where did those sins fit in on the right side? Are those human good or are those human bad? Human bad. That list gives us the human bad list. And so in Galatians 5, 19 and 21, we see the human bad expression of the flesh. Jealousy and strife among them. Jealousy, if you remember, was wanting something like what the other person has. Instead of wanting the exact thing, you want something like it. Okay, girls, I'll give you an example, just because I actually thought about this earlier in the week. Um, I, I, for some reason, I feel like I talk about the girls more as examples. I don't know why. I'm not, like, picking on you. Um, although there are more girls in the room, so maybe that's more the reason. But, so girls... You may experience this at some point in your life. You may have already. You may not, okay? But it's not uncommon for a young lady who is single to see another young lady holding the arm of a boy. And she may say to herself, "Mm, I want a boyfriend too. That's jealousy, right? I really wish I had a boyfriend. Okay? That's jealousy. Now, if that guy is really good looking and also happens to be that girl's crush, then she is envious. I want that boy as my boyfriend. That's the difference between envy and jealousy. Okay, and guys, you can do that too, but it's not a typical thought process for you in that way. Guys have a different approach to it. Okay? So jealousy (laughs) is wanting something like what someone else has. It's not that you don't want them to have that thing or that you want what exactly they have, you want to experience and enjoy what they also have. That's jealousy. Now, strife is a little different. Strife is something we see in families quite a lot. And in friends, you'll see this. Strife deals with conflict that comes because of a rivalry in pursuing what you want. Think about competition, right? In competition, my daughter is learning this. Because she's playing soccer, all right? Uh, As is some of your family members. We see them on Saturday at Upward Soccer. And uh, she, she doesn't quite get the idea of competition. For her, it's like a sh- social club. She's like, we're having fun. And I'm like, no, this is cutthroat. Like, this is upward soccer. You take the kid out. I mean, you take the ball from the kid, right? And, and if you don't know what upward soccer is, it's like a really simple, easy way to get into soccer for young kids. Uh, it's a really good opportunity. There's like a few rules they don't do, and like, it's really safe and fun. And so Riley, 
she'll like, she knows what to do. She knows she needs to have the ball and then pass the ball to her teammates or go score a goal, right? Take it up the field. But when the other team has a ball, she'll like run alongside of the person, smiling. <laughs> and I'm like, why don't you just take the ball from them? <laughs> no, she said, she said, because I'm being nice. And we're just having fun. I said, no, no, this is, this is something you're learning now. You need to be nice. You need to be a good sport. But you're trying to beat them. When we play, when it's her and I just one-on-one or with maybe Piper, our younger one in the mix, she's like aggressive. She takes the ball from me. Sometimes she takes my ankles out. I'm just saying. But she has no problem doing that with me because she's, she's rivalry. She has, a, she has a rivalry with me. She wants to beat me. From, I mean, you guys are grown up too. I remember wanting to beat my father in basketball. I didn't care if I beat any other kid. I mean, I, I wanted to, but like if it was my father I was playing, I was like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to beat him. Like it's, everything is all in here. You guys know the idea of a rivalry, right? Yeah, who's the West Valley rival? Um, Ike, Davis. Okay, so you get the idea of a rivalry. It's everything is more intense with the rivalry, right? There's an emotional uh, investment involved. But it's me versus you, and I'm better than you. And why oh, you beat me this time, but I'm going to get you next time, Kaylee. And then the, or it was, it was Veronica, wasn't it? Actually, I'm pretty sure it was like most of you, except for Dylan, because he was on my team. Go team. Anyway, <laughs> so this rivalry, strife, <laughs> strife is the conflict that comes out of rivalry in your desires against one another. If what you want is the most important thing to you over what God wants, then you will find yourself having lots of strife in your life. Lots of frustration, lots of not understanding. If that's what you make the most important thing to you, you're going to have strife in your life. And at some point, when you get to that point where you get married, strife is a natural part of marriage because what you're doing is you're taking two sinners who have two different sin natures, and you're saying, act as one person. <laughs> and so whose opinion of the two gets to be the most important? It's a trick question. Neither. God's. The man does have the authority over the house, according to Scripture, but his opinion isn't what he should be following. He should be following God's leadership, right? So that's why I said it's a trick question. It's not your opinion or his opinion. It's God's opinion. And gentlemen, as you grow up and develop, you need to learn how to listen to God and follow his word and his plan for your life so that when you get to that point where you have a spouse, you are able to not pursue what you want and you're able to see what she needs and pursue that out of love and obedience to the Father. And future wives in the room, you'll need to do the same thing. Taking what you want, the home, the life, all the rest of it that you want, and saying it's not about me, it's about what God wants. It doesn't mean that you don't have desire. It just means you put it in the right place. And strife doesn't do that. Strife says, no, what I want, that's all that matters, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get what I want more so than you. And there's a conflict that comes out of that, especially if you have two people doing that. <laughs> and that's a part of the flesh. What is that? That's the area of weakness producing in you a lack of care and concern for God first, and then the other person second, and saying it doesn't matter what's right, 
I don't care if what I want is wrong. I don't care if it's wrong to not care about you. I'm just going to do this. That's human bad. And so if that's a part of your life and you see that, perhaps currently or maybe recently in the past or maybe it's going to come in the future here. If you see that, notice right away that you're not here. You're down here in the, in the carnality, in the flesh. Now, how does that help you? <laughs> well, it should. If you are willing to subject yourself to God, it should give you the awareness to say, I'm operating from the flesh, Father. I should not be doing what I'm doing and making what I want more important than following you instead. It should change how you think when you come to that awareness that you're in the flesh. Now, the part that we're trying to get to tonight is that next part. The jealousy and strife are evident specifically of the church of Corinth and their flesh and what Paul's talking about there. It's a part of our life too at, at certain points. And he says, since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And then he adds this next little bit. And are you not walking like mere men? Now look at the word mere. It's in italics, which means to you, if you see that in your Bible, that that word mere is not actually in the original text from which it was translated. They've put that word in there for you. They're saying this is the idea. Well, the literal translation of this passage is according to I missed. According to the norms and standards of man. Nailed it. I don't know what it is with the blue pens. All right. Try this again. There it is, according to the norms and standards of man. I was with a men's group this morning. There were seven of us at Waffles Cafe. It's an every Tuesday occurrence. Um, and we started talking about, and they started talking about curse words and why it's so easy to, when you smack your hand with a hammer or stub your toe for that word to just want to come right out. And everyone around the table was like, oh, yeah, I understand that. Just passing notes? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> everyone around the table was saying, I understand that. And they're like, it's just, it's just we never had to be taught that. And I, I disagreed. I said, no, I think we actually had to be taught that. Those words aren't really a part of my life. doesn't mean that those words have never been something I've thought one time there was a kid chasing me in the playground yelling at me. He called me a, a bad word, and I turned around and started chasing him and said, I am not a, and I repeated the word. I didn't use it derogatorily. The bad word isn't a bad word just because it's a bad word. Paul actually uses a word in the New Testament when he says, I've counted all rubbish. That means human excrement, but it's actually a derogatory word in Greek. And so it's not necessarily the word itself, but it's how it's used for sure. But there is this thing that we, we develop this acceptance of certain things in our life. We accept a standard into our life. We say, it is okay that I do this. It's okay that that slips out, or that I look at that, or that I enjoy this, or that I don't have an attitude of respect towards God or my peers or anyone else. This is all okay. 
And we accept that as a normal standard. That's purely man's norms and standards. It's not okay that those things happen. And until we deal with changing that standard, it won't make a difference. Until we say, no, this is not acceptable, we're going to continue to walk according to the norms and standards of man. And if we're walking according to the norms and standards of man, then we keep ourselves from being able then to understand the word of God, to understand the will of God for our life, because as Romans 8 teaches us, and we'll get into this next few weeks, as Romans 8, Romans 8 teaches us, those who are operating from the mindset of the flesh do not understand the spiritual things of God. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2 also says that those who are natural men, those who are soulish, focusing on the, the soul aspect of the flesh, that they are not able to discern, to understand, or come to recognize the spiritual things of God. We are spiritually blind when we're walking according to the flesh. We only grow spiritually when we're walking spiritually. Now, this should be the next diagram for you. Oh, no, okay, here it is. All right. This diagram puts together, in a lot of ways, everything that we've talked about in the last few weeks. The chart is basically self-explanatory, okay? There's, it's color-coded for a reason. You got the baby on the left side, okay? That's you, all right? I know it's blue, but it also has a bow, so ladies, typically you have bows in your hair. Guys don't when you're a child. Sometimes it happens. The moms get a little excited. It, it could be a girl if you're a girl or a boy if you're a boy. But it is what you are. It is not whatever it wants to be. <laughs> yeah. So, ladies, for you, that's a girl. Boys, for you, that's a boy. Okay, pretty simple. Now, we've got this diamond shape. That's the beginning of your physical life. And it's red until the cross. Why do you think that is? Sin. It's sin. Red until you accept Christ as Savior. Now, look at the line. The line goes blue from that point on and then turns green up here. Why blue? Blue is symbolic of righteousness in Scripture. So we've got red for sin, blue for righteousness. Now, again, there's a difference in who you are as a new creature in Christ versus how you walk. And this puts all of that together for you in a little bit more fun of a visual diagram. In your position in Christ, you may remain righteous and going up when you die physically into eternity. Why is it green? Green is symbolic of eternity in Scripture. Kind of interesting you see the green grass in the springtime. Reminds you that God is still working. So the green, this is, you died here. This is the RIP part. In case you didn't figure that was a tombstone, right? Baby, birth, RIP, death, all right? Physical death. You go up to heaven, eternity with God. But the blue, you remain righteous because you're in Christ your entire life. Now, what's the green on top and the red on bottom? Well, that is this part. Red, symbolic of sin. So this would be what? Spiritual or fleshly operation? Fleshly. So when you accept Christ as your Savior, at that point in time, you've done the first righteous thing you can do as a person. Trust Jesus to be your Savior. That is called in 1 John, the righteousness. And it says everyone who has performed the righteousness has eternal life. Rough paraphrase, but that's the idea. So now you're in fellowship with God. 
until what happens? You're not, which means something had to occur. How do you lose fellowship with God? Sin. So something caught your attention. Your lust pattern finally said to you, hey, let's do this. And you're like, okay, I, I guess. And you leave fellowship with God, and now you go fleshly. And as you're walking, you spend time walking fleshly until you recognize, hey, there's some strife in my life. There's some jealousy. Whatever that list of the flesh may be that's going on, you recognize that you go, you know what? This is stupid. This is wrong. And you confess. And now what happens? You go back in fellowship. You're back in the circle. Was it green? Because you're in fellowship, yeah. And you're growing spiritually, okay? We'll go with that. Yep. And so as you, as you develop that knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you only develop that in fellowship, in the green. It's also green because of red light, green light, too, right? But it's red light for sin and green light for growth. So as you spend time in fellowship and then spend time in the flesh and then confess in time of fellowship and go back and forth, notice how you build some momentum, it appears, in this chart. And again, this is not to scale. I just made this up right? <laughs> you do lose momentum. Look at what happens. When you spend more time in the flesh, the momentum of spiritual operation and growth you had, your awareness, your sensitivity to recognizing whether you're spiritual or carnal, fleshly, changes. The Bible says that as believers, we can become callous to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's leading us, in order to get out of fellowship, we have to say no to him. We have to quench his work in our life. Quench there means to stop it. But we can also grieve the Holy Spirit, and that's during the time in which we operate as if we don't have him indwelling us. We're not submitted to his leadership. And so as we develop momentum, look at this, you did like a whole like 10 seconds here, and then you got about five or three seconds, and then hey look, here's another four seconds, and then one second, and then oh yeah, 15, 20 seconds right here. And briefly out and then right back in. This part of your life, like this, this segment where you've got that kind of momentum going, you're going to be growing in leaps and bounds spiritually. You're going to be progressing up that, up that chart from the infant to the child and starting to dabble in child teen area in that way. And the more you spend time here in fellowship, the more you'll progress and the quicker you'll recognize when you lose that fellowship. Until you get to this place where you die. And then it's all over. Everything you've done in fellowship is as far as you progress spiritually. Everything you've done in the flesh is thrown out. And if we put it all together, just the course of your spiritual life, everything that you've got in green comes back and is counted to you as faithful stewardship to God. There's reward that's produced from that. And while you spend time in eternity, you have a new task, a new role, role and responsibility that's based upon all your time in green. Growing spiritually requires that we pay attention to the flip moments right here. We pay attention to when there's sin in our life and that we choose and willingly say, you know what, that was wrong and to confess that to God. And if we do not do that, we will stay here our entire spiritual existence, not operating spiritually, not understanding the word of God, not growing spiritually, not following God's plan for our life, continually getting convicted, continually getting God's discipline until the time that we die. And instead of our chart having, oh, about 50-50 maybe, it's going to be solid red. 
There's passages in Scripture that talk about the shame that people will feel when they come before the Father and they have nothing in their stewardship to show Him. What does He do about that? All the red's thrown out. Eternal life continues, not because you did what you were supposed to do in the green, but because you're righteous in Christ. That's position. This is fellowship. In your life right now, there are things that you have to deal with. People wrong you. They act in ways that they shouldn't. And as I teach my daughters, because someone else makes the wrong choice does not mean that we should also then make the wrong choice. If I get mad at them and make the wrong choice, I have to take care of that between me and God first and then me and them second. But if I get mad at them and then they get mad at each other, then they have to deal with it between God and them and then each other and also with me as their parent. When someone else does something wrong, let them do it wrong. I don't mean encourage them and enable them, but if they have wronged you, God will take care of that. He's not going to smite them, the King James word. He will discipline his children. It's his job to deal with giving out the proper, just punishment and discipline for that failure that that person made. But don't let it take you to a place where it keeps you apart from God in your relationship with him. Usually what that means for us is we have to forgive people. We have to say, you know what, that was wrong. They shouldn't have done it, but I'm not going to hold it against them. It's between them and God. And that's one of the hardest things for us to learn. Red light, green light. This is about your walk with God and what hinders you in growing spiritually. If there's sin in your life, confess it. When it pops up again, confess it again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. For the way the Holy Spirit is able to use it, both in convicting us of sin by recognizing and recalling to our mind the list of things that we may be participating in, and also in giving us through your word the instruction on how to walk right before you. May we pay attention to our sin, to those times where we walk apart from you, quickly repent, and then confess it to you, so that we may spend as much time as we possibly can serving you in the same way that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ served you, completely obedient even to the point of death. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.